to make sure that everybody's awake today. And so I thought we might start out today, especially see the kids in the room, by playing a little game today, a little bit of this or that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a statement on the screen. For those of you watching at home, you'll see this as well. And then I'm going to ask you to respond to this statement. And a couple of these are for kids too. So kids, just pay attention. We'll get to yours in a second. The first one is this. I want you to imagine that you get a text message that says, I'm going to have to cancel plans tonight. How many of you are excited? Okay. Yeah, all the introverts in the house are like, yes, I got my knife back to myself. How many of you are sad? Okay. Uh, so the next one is, you know, you're getting ready to go on a trip and need to pack for your trip. How many of you are packing days ahead? How many of you are packing minutes ahead? <laughs> yep, that's me. Um, you get to the time of day when it's time to go to bed. Uh, how many of you are, are night owls, late bedtimes? And how many of you are early birds? Okay, oh, lots of early birds here. Okay, you, imagine you get a check in the mail and it says, here's a $500 refund for overpaying your bill. How many of you are spending it? And how many of you are saving it? If you're here as a couple, I hope one of you is in each of these categories, you know, balance things out. And then kids, this last one is for you. You can only have one of these for dessert. Kids, how many of you are yelling, having cake? Yell at me. Cake? Cake? Anybody cake? Ice cream? Ice cream. My kids all voted for ice cream. I knew that. We had a birthday party yesterday. We did not have cake because ice cream always wins in our house. Now, I picked all of these because they're fairly, like, divisive. They're, they're either-or questions. And a lot of things in life are like that. They, they force us to go in one direction or the other. But there are also things in life and places in life where it's not about this and it's not about that. It's about both. And today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus is presented with what appears on the surface to be a this or that moment. But what Jesus does is he says, no, I'm not going to pick this, and I'm not going to pick that. I'm going to pick both. And that's why today, as we're continuing our series called This is the Way, I've entitled this message, The Way of Both. Because we're going to talk about how do we find a way to hold on to both when naturally and in our world, it would be way easier to just do this or that. Now, as you can tell from the shirt that I'm wearing, we're in a series called This is the Way. I got a shirt gift from somebody at the camp last week. And when somebody buys you a shirt that has the name of your sermon series on it, you have to wear it the next Sunday. So if you're watching from home, I won't call you out, but thank you for my shirt. I appreciate it. And thank you, Pastor Josh, for giving them a suggestion on shirt size so they knew what size to buy me. And uh, I have my matching shoes right here, if you can see them. They're uh, matching the, 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 the shirt, so we're kind of coordinated today. But we're in the third week of a series where we're using this phrase from the TV show, The Mandalorian, part of the Star Wars universe, to talk about the way of Jesus, that Jesus outlined a way for his disciples to follow him. And we're looking at a few pieces of that over these four weeks. The first, we've looked at the, the, the way of remaining, and we said that the main thing is the remain thing, that everything as followers of Jesus comes, it rises, and it falls on our ability to remain rooted and connected to Jesus. 
Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's why the main thing is the remain thing. Then last week, we passed out a bunch of coffee beans. Does somebody still have their coffee bean with them today? Awesome. You know, hopefully you didn't wash it in your clothes this last week. As somebody told somebody, there are worse things to wash in your clothes other than coffee beans, pens, gum, chapstick. I've washed them all. I've also washed coffee too, so it's, it's the least of your problems. But in that message, we said that Jesus transforms us so that we can transform everything we touch. And we use the analogy of the coffee bean that you put it in water and it isn't transformed by the water, it transforms the water. And today we're in week three of this series. We'll wrap it up next week on Labor Day weekend. And here's the big idea we're going to dive into today. That Jesus showed us how to respond to broken people. Because we're all broken. Jesus showed us how to respond to broken people because we are all broken. Today, as we explore this big idea, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of John. It's near the last section of the Bible that we call the New Testament. It's preceded by the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John was one of the closest disciples of Jesus, and he wrote his eyewitness account of walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, listening to Jesus, witnessing Jesus perform miracles. Now, before we jump into this text today, I need to give you a little bit of background, because what you may have noticed, if you have a, a physical Bible or a digital Bible, is when you got to John 7:53, there's a little heading right there. And in many Bibles, it says this, the earliest manuscripts do not include John 7:53 through 8:11. Now, as many of you know, the Bible was, was written 2,000 years ago. It was written in Greek, and manuscripts were kept, and the Bible that we have is based upon a translation from those manuscripts. And so many of those early manuscripts don't have this particular section. This, the manuscripts that had this particular section, they appeared in later manuscripts, and, and gospel translators and scribes who were writing this down and copying this, they put this passage in different locations in the gospels. And in some translations, they put it in the gospel of Luke. In some translations, they put it in the gospel of John. And you say, Scott, if this is not in the earliest manuscripts and it's placed in different places, then why should we trust it? Well, I've spent uh, the, the time preparing this message to be able to talk about this text you know, intelligently. And I will tell you that virtually everyone, including the most conservative scholars, believe that what we're going to read today was an actual event and an authentic account. So what we're going to read today, according to the best of scholarship, actually happened. Some people question whether John actually recorded it. Some people question whether Luke actually recorded it. But, but all scholars believe this is a genuine account of something Jesus did and said. The other reason why many scholars believe this should be included in the canon is this, that it never contradicts anything that we know about Jesus. You know, there, there are other kind of Gnostic gospels out there. The gospel of Thomas is one of them. And they have these crazy stories about Jesus. There's one kind of, um, uh, what's called a mythical account of Jesus, where Jesus takes this, these clay um, pieces, forms them into people, breathes life into them, lets them run around, and then he destroys them. 
it's kind of morbid baby Jesus, you know? And so because that contradicts what we know from everywhere else in Scripture about Jesus, that's one of the reasons why we don't include the Gospel of Thomas in the Scriptures. The other things that we find in this passage is that it only affirms what we know about Jesus. What we read here is affirmed everywhere else. It doesn't contradict, it actually affirms. And in many places, it actually expands what we know about Jesus. And what we're going to see here today is that we have confirmation of who Jesus is and greater explanation and clarity about the teaching and way of Jesus. And so I just wanted you to know, because there's a little heading in your Bible, that you can trust what we're about to read as a genuine and authentic account of something Jesus actually did and said. And if you want to dig more into that, come find me in the lobby and we can have our nerd corner out there. So... Before we go any further, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word. We're going to be reading from John 7, 53 through 8, 11. And here's how it begins. Then each one went to his own house, that's the disciples, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. In the ancient days, the rabbis would sit down to teach. If you watched me online last week, I sat down for the online message. It feels way more normal for me to stand up. So I'm, I'm glad you're back to standing up today. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman has been caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now they asked this to trap Jesus in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. Lots of people have tried to you know, give conjecture, but nobody actually knows. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to him, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down and again continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Remember that. We'll come back to that in a second. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Well, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Jesus, we thank you that this passage is here. This recording of this event is here for us to learn more about your way and about your heart. We pray that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open to you today and that you'd speak to us even if that message is uncomfortable initially. We pray that you would open us up to it eventually and transform us completely. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Now this morning, in the time that we have, what I would like to do as we kind of unpack this text is I would like us to look at the three invitations that Jesus offered those that he met. Here in this text, he meets a number of people and he gives an invitation to them. And here's the first one, our first invitation today. The first invitation is this. Embrace God's grace as the basis of your life with God. Embrace God's grace as the basis of your life with God. Now, we all build whatever we build in life on a foundation. 
You, you build a career on a foundation of education and experience. You build a home on a foundation of concrete. You build a relationship on a foundation of trust. Everything we built is built on a basis or a foundation. And what Jesus is calling us to do here is to build our lives on the basis of his grace. Now, our tendency in contrast to that is to relate to one another and relate to God very differently. Our temptation is to relate to God and to relate to each other through these. Through masks. I, I had a Black Panther mask at home, but it wasn't on brand for a Star Wars series, so I stole this from my children. They asked if they could come up and wear it, and I said, no, this is my sermon, not yours. So, so we often show up at church on Sundays wearing these. Now, long before we wore the masks that were just right here, many of us were well experienced wearing masks over our whole lives. The temptation is to begin to relate to people and to God through a mask. Something that hides the truth about who we are or where we are or what we're thinking. And to begin to relate to people through a less than authentic face. We joke about this. This is the temptation to scream at your family on the way to church and then walk in like you all love each other. It's the temptation to tell people everything's great in your life when you know everything's not great. It's a temptation to, to relate to God as if there's nothing going on when you have these questions and these struggles and these frustrations with him. And, and this is not a modern problem. This is an ancient problem. Because if we were to go back into the day of Jesus, my clicker's playing with me again, this was a common theme. The king in the area Jesus lived was Herod, and he built a massive theater for Greek play performance. And for those actors, they wouldn't dress in full costume. What they would do is they would just wear a mask over their face, and they would pretend to be somebody they weren't. And the Greek word for an actor who had a mask over their face playing an, another person, you know what the Greek word was? A hypocrite. To pretend to be someone you weren't was hypocrisy. And long before that was a term of derision or put down, it was a common term in that world. And that's why it's so fascinating that when these people, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, when they came up to meet Jesus, Jesus on a regular basis in places other than John 7 and John 8, he referred to them as hypocrites, people who pretended to be something they weren't. In fact, some of the strongest language Jesus has for them comes in Matthew 23, where it says, Jesus spoke to the crowds and the disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. That's the seat they taught from. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But listen to this. Don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. That's hypocrisy. They say one thing and they do another. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. 
And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples on a regular basis and saying, hey, there's going to be a temptation for you to relate to me through a mask, saying one thing and doing another, but that's not how I want to relate to you. I want to have an authentic relationship with you that's based upon who you are and how you actually are. And it's in this context that this passage happens. Because what Jesus came to do was not set us up for hypocrisy, but to set us up for grace. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. And so our invitation is to relate to God and have a a life with Him not based on a, a performance, not based upon a mask, but based upon grace. Now, for all the kids who are here in the room, or maybe kids if you're home watching with your parents, here's the question I have for you. Where do you see people saying and doing different things? This would be a great conversation to have as a family today. Hey, where do you see us as parents saying one thing and doing another? Parents are notorious for saying, do what I say, not what I do. I'll tell you, that doesn't work as parents. Because kids see through that. And, and they catch more than you teach them. They're always watching and they're always listening. And over time, what they begin to trust is not what you say, but what you do. Now, I have to tell you that I've never taught this uh, passage before. My entire life. I'm back and looking at all my records. I've never taught this. And, and we've got kids in the room, so I, I'm not going to belabor this point. But I have to say this because I told myself whenever I preached this passage, I was going to say this. So this has been building up for me in years. I've got a question when I read through this passage. It's a three-word question. Maybe you've wondered it. Where's the man? Like, where's the man? They pushed this woman in the center. I thought it took two. So I'm not going to belabor this point, but I just want you to know, if you've always wanted a pastor to say that, here you go, this is your day, you can check that off your list. But this woman, they put her in the center of this circle and they shame her and they condemn her. And I can't imagine the weight that she felt on her shoulders that day because that was like her worst day she'd ever had. Have you ever had a day like that? That you blew it. You made a huge mistake. In a moment, you wished you could roll back the gears of time. And undo something you said, or undo something you did, or undo a decision that you made. And she's standing there in the center, feeling the weight and the condemnation of everyone else. And those are the moments that we're tempted to pull the mask out. Those are the moments we're tempted to put the face on. Those are the moments we're tempted to fake it. And this is why my heart for our church is that this would be... I'm not talking about COVID, a mask-free zone. That we would live with authenticity. That you would feel the freedom when you step into this space or into your community group to be 100% authentic. That you wouldn't have to play or pretend, but that you could find the grace that God extends those who come to Him, mask-free, being given to you. And you give that same thing to somebody else. See, in this moment, what the Pharisees want to do is the Pharisees want to condemn her. They want to judge her. According to the law, there was a a law in the Old Testament that when a moment like this happened, 
and adultery happened, that it was a, a capital offense. And so they come to Jesus with a this or a that. Jesus, what do we do? Do we follow the law or do we not follow the law? And Jesus, because Jesus walks the way of both, not this or that, he asks them a question. He says, yeah, how about one of you who's without sin, you throw the first stone. And all around the circle surrounding this woman, you begin to hear a sound. It's the sound of it's rocks dropping all around the circle. Rocks begin to fall. And I told you to pay attention to the text because it's something we were going to come back to. And let me show you this right here. Catherine's going to put it on the screen. John 8, 9 says, When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Why did the older men drop their rocks first? Because the older men had enough life to know just how sinful they were. See, the older you get, the more aware you become of your flaws. And when you're young and naive, you think you've got it pretty good. You think you've got it pretty together. There's an idealism and a naivete. But as, as you get older, every time you look in the mirror, and as you look back over your life, you see the relationships around you, you don't need to look very far to find flaws. But let me just tell you that, that not everybody does this. I mean, that this is the opportunity that getting older gives you, but not everybody seizes this opportunity. You see, if you don't become more aware of your flaws, you're just getting older, but you're not getting wiser. And just because you are older does not mean that you are wiser. Age and wisdom are not synonymous. I've met people, even though I'm on the younger end of this room, I've met people who are younger than me, that are wiser than me, and I've met people who are older than me that need a class in wisdom. And what Jesus is, is showing us here is that as we get older, we, ha we have to, if we're going to follow in his way, acknowledge and recognize our sinfulness and our brokenness and our flaws and recognize that those things keep us from standing in condemnation towards others. See, at the end of the day, your life with God is taking you somewhere. It's either taking you into hypocrisy and heartlessness, or it's taking you into humility. And in this story, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were hypocrites and they were heartless. Jesus says in Matthew 23, they said one thing and did another, and they put a burden on other people, but they didn't help them carry it. That's hypocrisy and heartlessness. But Jesus was inviting them into humility, a drop your rock, recognize your own flaws, offer other people the same grace you deserve moment. And so the question I have for you related to this first invitation is where is your life with God taking you? Like, play this out on the path that you're on. If you keep living this way with God for another year, two years, five years, ten years, what are you going to look like? And if it's not more humble, if it's more hypocrisy and more heartlessness and more hard-heartedness, then you're not walking the way of Jesus. You're walking the way of the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrites. 
In the same way that if you knew that your investments were not going to help you get where you needed to do, you'd move some things around. Think about your life as the greatest investment and ask yourself, where is my life with God taking me if I play this out? This is why I said Jesus invites us to respond a certain way to broken people because at the end of the day, we're all broken people. The second invitation is this, that we're invited to learn the way of grace and truth. That's the both that we're talking about today. The way of both that Jesus walked in this text was grace and truth. He responds with both. We see this at the end of the text in John 8, 9 through 11. It says, when they heard this, they left one by one, dropping the rocks, starting with the older men. And only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, they had come to Jesus thinking that they were offering him a this or that moment, a condemn her or violate the law. And Jesus says, I'm not going to play by those rules. I'm not going to choose one. I'm not going to choose the other. I'm going to choose both. I'm going to respond to her not with grace and not with truth, but with grace and truth. And there are moments that that all of us end up in where we feel like we have to choose between one or the other. And I'm not saying that there might not be a moment like that. But when it comes to these two things, grace or truth, the choice is not one or the other. The choice is always the way of both, because that's the way Jesus walked. One of the most well-known passages about Jesus comes in John 1.14. If we can hop back one slide. In John 1.14, John writes, the word, that's his term for Jesus when he begins this this gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, many of us think when we read that, that Jesus is like teeter tottering grace and truth. He's kind of balancing them out. And sometimes he's more grace and sometimes he's more truth. And, and if he is grace and truth, it's kind of a balance, like 50, 50. No, no, you need new math, not common core math, new math. It's 100% grace and 100% truth because he didn't balance them. He was full of both of them. Now you go, Scott, how does that work? How can you be 100% of both? Well, we also believe that he was God, three persons. So if you can pull that one off, you can pull this one off in your head. He was full of both. And we, as his followers, we don't need to be 50% grace and 50% truth. We need to be 100% of both. Because here's the mindset I want to introduce to you in this series. If you see Jesus living a certain way and walking a certain way, and that is not present in your life, you don't adjust Jesus, you adjust yourself. So I I encourage you, I'm reading through the Gospels every month this year. And I would challenge you, because I've been trying to do this, I would challenge you to find a place in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus was ever in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. So if you and I are in a hurry, we don't adjust Jesus to get more motivated. 
We look at ourselves and go, why is something present in me that is not the way of Jesus? Because if I'm following the way of Jesus and I'm his apprentice, then I have to learn and adopt his way. I don't have to adjust him to my way. Now, the challenge is some of us, when we find ourselves in difficult moments, like Jesus had with this woman, we tell ourselves this statement. Well, some people are in need of grace, but other people are in need of truth. There's a lot of us who said that. Oh, this person, what they really need is grace. No, this person over here is need, they really need is truth. And I think, that's a, I think that's just a lie that we've believed. There's not anybody who only needs one of these. We all need both. And I want to show you a, a, an image that I found this week that represents this. It's a little bit complex, so we're going to kind of break it down. All of us tend to go in one of two directions. We, we either tend to go towards the right on this image or the left. For those of us who tend to go right, we tend towards moralism or legalism. In our head, we think phrases like, I'm not worthy. We, think, we feel insecure. I'm better than them. We feel superior. Or we say, you know what? I'm exhausted from trying to do all the right things. And, and those phrases are representative of a, a legalistic or a moralistic way of relating to God where it's all about what we do. And if we do the right things, we're worthy of his love. And if we don't do the right things, we're not worthy of his love. But at the end of the day, we're fundamentally relating to him based upon what we do. Now, others of us, we tend to go in the opposite direction. And we tend to say, well, you know what? It's all good. I'm not going to sweat anything. Because I've got grace. And God will all work it out in the end. And that view tends to pull us away from any concern with what we do. And we end up in hedonism, just seeking our pleasures. Or relativism, where it's like, it doesn't matter, it's okay, there's grace, it just covers everything, don't sweat it. And the gospel that's needed for both of us to hear in both of those categories is grace and truth. If there's a tendency to go towards legalism, we need to hear that we are more loved than we could ever dare hope. And it doesn't matter if you're killing it when it comes to following God's word or if you're dying on the vine and you're struggling to do it. You are loved more than you could ever hope, no matter what happens in the past or what happens in the future. And if you're the kind of person who just says, hey, it doesn't really matter what I do, I'm good. You need to hear that you're more broken than you realize. So broken, in fact, that God had to leave heaven, come to earth, and die on the cross so that you could have any hope of life with him. And I have to tell you that I need both of those. In a given day, I will, I will vacillate from total superiority because I do something that somebody doesn't to total sense of who cares, it's grace, and a loss of just how broken I am. And we need to hear both the grace of God and the truth of God, the good news and the bad news, the comfort and the challenge. All people are in need of grace and all people are in need of truth. And what Jesus does in this passage is he gives this woman both. And we're going to unpack that here in our third invitation. The third invitation is to allow God's grace to drive your pursuit of holiness to allow God's grace to drive your pursuit of holiness. Now, I try to define big words that we use in church, because I know some of you didn't grow up in church, and it's maybe a new or foreign term to you. 
The word holiness comes from a Hebrew word, kadash, and it means to be set apart, cut off, separate, or morally pure. When God called his people to holiness, he was saying, I want you to live differently, set apart, different from everyone else around you. When God is holy, what it means is that he is pure. There is not any mixture of sin within him. And when he calls his people to be holy, he's saying, this is what I want from you. Now, the problem is, is from the very beginning of time, humanity has struggled to do this. I know many people would say in this world, oh man, we are living through the most sinful time in history. Oh, there's a lot of competition in human history. <laughs> and in the book of Judges, there's a passage that I think represents the, the moment we're living in well. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. This is a great description of the moment we're living in right now. Everybody does what seems right to them. We live in a world that's defined by situational ethics. I'm going to decide what is right based upon the moment I'm in, and I'm going to determine what's moral and good. That's the prevailing kind of cultural mindset of this moment. There's, there's not a lot of hunger or talk about holiness because everybody's deciding what's right and good for them, often from moment to moment. And yet, when Jesus speaks to this woman who's been caught in adultery, everyone else is left, and he says, hey, where's everybody who came to condemn you? He sa- she says, no one's here, Lord. No one condemns me. And he says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But then he says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. It's truth. And you might say, Scott, she's going to sin again, right? Like, we all sin. If we're still breathing, we're still sinning. I love how the NIV translates this passage. There it says, Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin. What he's calling her away from is that the way that she was going in, the way that she was living in, it was what she needed to abandon. This thing that caught you in this place, in this moment, I want you to leave it behind. To use the language of this series, what Jesus was saying to her is, this is not the way. And some of you need to hear that today. There's a place in your life where you've been living a certain way, and this is not the way. And Jesus is trying to get your attention. He's trying to call out to you. And I will just tell you, it will become more and more apparent and more and more painful the longer you go in a way that is not the way. And this moment is a gift to allow you to turn around and go in a different direction before it gets worse and before it gets more painful. See, God gives us in our lives people who love us enough to give us grace and truth. And if you have somebody who stepped into your life and who's loved you enough like Jesus to tell you the truth about where you were, but also to give you the grace of a second chance and remind you that God does not relate to you based upon your perfection, but his grace, man, God gave you a gift. God gave you a gift. And I'm so thankful for the past 18 months for the people in my life that God has given me who's given me grace and truth. I didn't always want to hear it in the moment. I didn't always receive it well. But they gave me grace and truth. And God loved this woman enough to put Jesus in her path and for Jesus to give her grace and for Jesus to give her truth. Now let's talk about this year. 
and this time. I don't know about you, but multiple times this year, I've felt like Robin Williams in the movie Jumanji. Like, what year is it right now? You ever have that? You're telling somebody a story, and you're like, did that happen in 2020? Did that happen in 2021? I don't even know what day it is right now. I mean, I think I know where I am, you know, but I feel like I'm wrestling with amnesia on some level. You know, I saw this meme pop up on my, on my feed last week. It's a, it's a scene from one of the Marvel movies. It's the next slide. And one guy says, this is me processing 2020. And then Captain America is coming past him saying 2022 in four months. And that feels like where I am. Like, I don't feel like I processed all the trauma of 2020. And guess what? Christmas is less than four months away. Terrifying thought. Like, I just got used to the fact that it was 2021, and now we're going to go to 2022. Because I think that a lot of us have just gotten ourselves into survival mode. I know myself, there's so many things that have come my way that there are some days I just feel like a good goal is surviving. And yet as I'm reading through this passage and preparing to preach to you, and I'm saying, God, what do you want to say to me here? Because I don't want to stand up to you and just preach this off a page. My vision of how a sermon should work is that I get with God, I get in the Word, and then stuff comes here first. God messes me up, up and down. And then I pick the pieces back together, and I pour it out, and then I share it with you. And so I'm working through this passage, I'm working through this message, and, and God starts raising a question to the surface. And here's the question. What have you been pursuing this year, Scott? I'm like, pursuing God? I'm just trying to survive. And and God said, yeah, you, you keep letting life happen to you. But what are you intentionally pursuing? See, I think all of us have a moment like this woman did. Where God gives us grace and truth. And he invites us to pursue something new. He invites us to to go with him and after something. And friends, there are difficult days behind us and there are difficult days ahead. If you're a person who reads scripture and you read the end of the book, it's a great ending, but it's a harrowing middle. And according to scripture, it's not going to get easier before it gets glorious. It's going to get harder. And if we allow ourselves to just be people who survive it and things happen to us and we endure it and we're not intentionally pursuing someone and something, I I wonder what we'll miss along the way. And so I felt like God was saying to me, Scott, what are you pursuing? What are you going after? And, And as I was reading this call to holiness based upon grace, I felt like God was calling me, Scott, how about we stop surviving? And how about we start pursuing something? Before we close today, I've got a couple next steps for you. And here's the first one. I want to encourage you to determine who you are in this story. When you go home this week, I want you to read these 12 verses. Really easy read. And say, okay, who am I in this story? Do I relate to the, the judgmental Pharisees? Do, do I relate to the woman in shame? Do I feel like I'm in the crowd just allowing things to happen around me and going with the flow. As you read through the story, determine who you are in this story. It's a true account. Number two, I want you to identify the invitation that Jesus is offering you. What do you feel like Jesus is inviting you to? 
What is he calling you to if that's who you are in the story? What's his message to you today? And then the third thing is to accept that invitation and walk in a new way of life. When Jesus calls us to follow him and he says, this is the way, it isn't just to know it. It's to walk in it and to allow him to lead us somewhere we have never been by his grace and by his truth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to us. I thank you for the way that that it disturbs me and comforts me. And I pray that families, as they sit around tables this week and they drive in cars, they would talk about and think about what it means to, to live a life that's, that's mask-free, that's authentic. I pray that as parents and mentors, that, that we would see the places where there is a gap in our lives between what we say and what we do. And use even these kids in our lives to reveal the places that you want to change and grow in us. And I pray that in a world that's constantly calling us to this or to that, that we would follow you down the way of both. You've given us grace and truth. And you are calling us to give those both to a world that is in desperate need of them. Pray that you'd continue to do your work in us so we can be those kinds of people. In your name we pray. Amen.